Wow! Hello and welcome to the Abroad in Japan podcast, probably the best way of learning about life in Japan without actually being in Japan. I'm your host, Chris Broad, and we're joined, as always, by top London radio DJ and certified Japanophile, Mr. Pedro Donaldson. Pedro, how you doing? <laughs> I love my new name, Chris. I love a rebranding of a of a Wednesday. How the devil are you? It's not been a good week, Pete. Uh, you might have seen oh. the news that Japan had the tornado, the typhoon and the earthquake all in one day. Yeah, Chris, it's, it's it's not been ideal, has it? I mean, in the middle of a, you know, a tornado and a typhoon, um, it was just it was it's inexplicable that an earthquake would decide to uh, turn up at, at that time. Um, yeah, it didn't look very clever at all. I kind of knowing the kind of coastal region of that part of um, Japan, because mm. obviously, like you see pictures of like places you've never been and stuff. But I mean. I've been to some of those places that were like underwater and stuff. It's it's uh, not not that it's any uh, less or more tragic, but it's just like Jesus. It, it, you can kind of get a bit more of a, a, a scope or a bit more of a scale of, of how awful it was. And uh, mm. yeah, I, um, well, I must say, um, is it Dogan? Dogan on uh, Twitter. Uh, yeah, friend. Dogan. Uh, American he was, dude. He was doing some fantastic. Uh, yeah, he was doing some fantastic work on Twitter for uh, English language. Um, people like english irish people or english people english speaking people uh to try and get help mm. uh in like japanese and stuff to, to you know he was writing out signs and stuff so people can kind of um please let me in your house please you know <laughs> can i gain access to this shelter and stuff he's deleted them all now but uh it has to be said he did some wonderful work on it he did i mean one of the things the um the typhoon the disaster exposed was just how um unprepared japanese mm. authorities are for handling um foreigners when such a disaster yeah. hits um, for example, they tried to, rather than just translate the news, I think, I can't remember which news outlet it was. Um, it might have been the actual Japanese government outlet. They were talking, they were releasing these um, disaster notices every few minutes, giving updates, and they were in Japanese. And then they made them easier. They, they wrote them in easy Japanese for foreigners who didn't really know Japanese, which meant <laughs> instead of having kanji characters, they were all written in hiragana, which meant that you <laughs> actually... Okay. Not only is it more difficult to read, I find, without kanji characters, but if you put it more into Google Translate, translate yeah. well, if you put it into auto-translate, it doesn't really work. So it kind no. of backfired and at least the kanji really pissed kind of, a lot of people off. At least the kanji is a bit more efficient when it comes to words. Like Most of the kanji have fewer interpretations. They know where words start and end. Yeah, oy, oy, oy. yeah but um, I mean, with, these t- with typhoons, usually I take them with a pinch of salt. Usually they kind of, in the days leading up to it, the authorities go crazy about them, but it's often very anticlimactic it arrives mm. and it's not too bad this one i did take notice as my phone was going crazy um the whole like week i got like uh, alarms mm. and things on my phone Constant alerts. yeah and just by satellite images of it if you looked at how big it was it was about i think it was 1000 uh, kilometers in diameter it was abs- an absolute yeah. monster storm yeah. um it didn't really affect me personally and luckily all the abroad in japan team which is just me, Natsuki Ryotaro, uh, were all right. We weren't really <laughs> affected. It was it was quite sad. One of the videos we made a few years ago, I don't know if you remember, I did this kind of challenge with Ryotaro and these two idol girls from some um, idol group. 
where they right. dressed up as we all dressed up as samurai and played some sort of card game. It's a really obscure video, uh, a little bit embarrassing. But the, the town we filmed it in, um, Marumori, <laughs> which is just south of Sendai, that got completely flooded. And for me, that seeing the yeah. town that I'd visited and filmed in completely underwater was quite a shocking thing to see. You know, you don't really appreciate how bad a flood is until you you've actually it's somewhere you can relate to or somewhere you've mm. been yourself. Yeah. Um, so that put it into perspective for me. Um, currently, forty people dead, sixteen missing. Tens of thousands of people without power, and um, there's about 110,000 people taking part in search and rescue operations across the country. The worst affected area, I think, was Nagano um, mm. and Shizuoka. Basically, the, the worst affected regions where the, the rivers actually just burst uh, out and flooded the yeah. area. So it was the floods that caused the most damage. Although, as I said a minute ago, um, it was a, a triple whammy of natural disasters. It started with like a tornado. Saturday morning, a tornado swept through Chiba, overturned a car and killed a, a guy there. And then typhoon struck. And then at 5 p.m., just before the typhoon was making landfall, an earthquake, uh, a magnitude 5.8 earthquake went off in Tokyo mm. Bay as well. So I think people in Tokyo had a really rough day. Um, yeah. And bits of Sendai were flooded as well. But uh, yeah, things are pretty much back to normal now for most of the country. Uh, yeah. Japan always recovers from these things very fast they've got a lot of great infrastructure for this sort of thing so yeah but it was a bad one it was one of the first ones that uh that actually scared me a little bit like mm. I, I didn't sleep the whole night the whole it sounded like the windows were going to implode on my apartment all night long mm. and even Ryotaro the great all-powerful Ryotaro seemed a little bit nervous about it when I spoke to him on the phone he was like oh it's going to be quite bad and you know if Ryotaro's scared you know it's going to be bad <laughs> everyone but, should be scared I, did you see the um the uh, helicopter footage or, or pictures of um, the Shinkansen trains, the uh, the bullet trains yeah. uh, underwater. Yeah, was... It looked it looked like they looked like birds sort of drinking. It's really weird because they've got big long noses. <laughs> I don't know how you managed to come to that conclusion. Um, <laughs> like birds drinking. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's so it like. three hundred million dollars worth of Shinkansen Jeez. ruined because they were left. Um, docked in a station at quite a low point and I think the river mm. flooded them um, I don't know if they can repair them or not but uh, yes they went down as well so mm. not a great week all in all um, no pretty awful well, I hope everyone gets uh, back on um, back on their feet soon yeah I think I think it'll be alright but um, mm. for me personally the most annoying part of the week was I, I finally released that Fukushima documentary I talked about doing for months mm. right I know we've been talking about it. I went there, made the documentary, um, and it's it was it's a twenty minute documentary. Have you seen it? I have seen it. Yes. Oh, what do you think? Ooh. I uh, really enjoyed my favorite part. Um, like I said on the texts, uh, was the bit where um, one side of a road, uh, everyone's allowed to go back into their houses, but because of the radiation and the fact that mm. it's not been de irradiated is it irradiated oh, either way irradiated um, radioactive irradiated does that, is that like, like um, flammable inflammable situation with, with the yeah, English language is just very confusing either way um, yeah one side of the road uh, you're allowed to live in your house but the other side of the road you're very much not allowed to live in your house because mm. um, it's riddled with radiation and uh, and, a surpri- like, and a surprising amount of like looting and bears smashing through people's houses and stuff <laughs> it's uh, I do find uh, my 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 favourite thing about travelling is finding these places that have been kind of overtaken by nature or reclaimed by abandoned. nature. Man-made mm. constructions that have been abandoned and uh, nature just starts kind of 
coming back in um, mm. is something very evocative. You know, there's a reason why pretty much every video game in the world um, is set uh, has a level where it's in Chernobyl or something um, <laughs> with the with the famous uh, merry-go-round Ferris oh, yeah. wheel and stuff Call like that. It, it, it's just so kind of like weird and eerie and otherworldly. But uh, you know, stuff like The Last of Us. So, like, seeing some of that stuff, you're like, oh, my God, it looks incredible. But obviously, it's a scene of uh, very depressing uh, situations. And, and, and also just people, um, communities trying to get back on their feet when everyone's moved away. Um, you know, five kids going to one school that used to hold, you know, thousands is just insane. Mm. It's, well, it's a difficult thing to tackle. You know, when I turned up to do the documentary, I wasn't sure really what to focus on. I could have mm. focused on the nuclear reactor and the plant, but I think that's yeah. been done a lot. By news outlets already um i kind of wanted to focus on the human aspects of it right the people mm. that are affected by it we only interviewed three people i'd like to have done more but there's only so much you can pack into a 20-minute documentary and on youtube you know you always get a little bit uncomfortable doing anything over 15 minutes because you think oh is anyone going to watch this right um but uh yeah no walking through the the towns in tomioka walking through the town like tomioka where the, the pharmacy was abandoned and all this whole town is just empty it's really quite an eerie sight that's why i put mm. the the opening shot of the documentary is this pharmacy that's just boarded off um just down the road from all the buildings where wild boar have smashed their way through yeah. and stolen everything pretty surreal we actually saw a yeah. wild boar we saw a couple of wild boars running around um but i was too busy flying the drone actually while i was flying <laughs> the drone over the cow farm there's a crazy cow farm we we went to and uh while I was doing it, there was a, like a wild boar trying to creep up on me. And I had to like, fend <laughs> off this wild boar while f- trying to fly a drone over 200 cows. It was quite a surreal situation to be in. Nice. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm glad I did it. I, I was on the fence about doing a Fukushima documentary for the longest time. And I, I kind of thought that a lot of people would not like it. I don't know why. Mm. I had this feeling that a lot of people would be angry um, because it's... With Fukushima, it's very divisive, right? A lot of people are pro-nuclear, a lot of people anti-nuclear. And if you look in the comments section, a lot of people are like, well, this proves that the Fukushima disaster wasn't that bad and they should have not evacuated so many people. And as I said in the documentary, mm. 2,200 people lost their lives as a result of the evacuation, right? Leaving the area, leaving their homes behind, being ripped away from their lives. It led to a lot of deaths. At the same right. time, it's a lot. It's, as there is, you know, from an anti-nuclear perspective as well, the documentary um, is pretty powerful, I think, in the sense that it just shows you the scale of how much area was ruined. And there's that sort of haunting shot of all the bags of contaminated soil piled up over oh, a I, I massive they, area the size of I like 20 football fields. Managed to um, get, like, it's such. I know they've put like billions and billions of pounds into the recovery effort, but I mean, just having to physically, um, by hand, you know, scoop up the first foot of topsoil. Uh, and get them into bags and then, you know, stack them up in an mm. abandoned rice field. You're just like, what a fart on. <laughs> I know it's like important work, but like, what, that surely is more of efficient, an efficient way of doing this. But clearly there isn't. You just got to, mm. you know, it's almost quite um, old school the way you just got to scoop the um, uh, irradiated um, soil up and get them in bags and, and, you know, probably put them somewhere under a bit of concrete. It's, 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 it's a, Weird situation for them to uh, for them to be in, and, and, and yeah, I, uh, I, and uh, I hear that uh, the algorithms may have um, cost you a few views as well, which is the annoying thing on YouTube. Yeah, it was quite 
I, I mean, I didn't know how the Fukushima thing was going to do, the documentary was going to do on YouTube, but um, mm. it got the best critical response I think I've ever seen on a, a Brawl in Japan video. People tweeting me, Facebooking me, sending me emails saying how mm. they enjoyed it. It got yeah. like 30,000 likes. It, did all, it all did really well, but what annoyed me was YouTube didn't promote it. It didn't actually mm. promote it anywhere on the platform. Um, so it was the worst performing video of the year. And at first yeah. I just thought, oh, it's Fukushima. Maybe people aren't interested in it. Maybe I kind of overestimated how many people are going to be interested in it. Um, and also it's 20 minutes long, so maybe that put a lot of people off as well. Um, yeah. But then a lot of regular viewers who watch every video came to me and said, oh, I haven't seen it anywhere on the platform. I didn't get yeah. notified about it. Um, and a friend of mine um, thinks it's because I had the word, there was, there was a word destroyed, I think, I put in the tags. And they think that uh, words like destroyed and nuclear might be blacklisted on YouTube yeah. or actually lead to videos not getting promoted. And it it does seem that the video wasn't promoted properly by YouTube. Um, mm. Like compared to the other four or five videos, which all got like one mm. million, eight hundred thousand, six hundred thousand, this one did really quite badly. Um, so that was kind think, of um, rubbish and made me yeah, feel well, I depressed. Think, <laughs> well, I think anything like that that's got any kind of, I don't know, possibly political, possibly mm. uh, environmental kind of, you know, Fukushima, I think Fukushima is a word, um, would probably be blacklisted as well. But the, thing, exactly, the, the, yeah. the, the, the net result is that, you know, YouTube doesn't promote serious um, work and only promotes, you know, people fucking eating Tide Pods and shit, you know, it, the, the, the the format, the, the platform will become dumber over time because they don't want, they can't exactly, sell adverts yeah. on Fukushima, they can't sell ads on, I mean, I guess people who want to advertise on a documentary about a nuclear, what is ostensibly a, a fairly um, wide-ranging disaster, um, they're... Um, there'll be fewer advertisers who want to advertise on mm, your yeah. video in this case so therefore why would youtube bother to um advertise it to get more views because you know they they can't make any money out of it etc so it's probably something to do with that as well i think that's the main reason although funnily mm. enough in the comments somebody uh in the us said that they'd seen an advert for nuclear power come up on the video which is a little <laughs> bit crazy Brilliant. um but yeah no that's the main reason um obviously youtube yeah. wants to get its money so they're gonna yeah. prioritize videos that they can put adverts on mm. um and that's so yeah that's that is depressing the fact that if i'd made a video of me eating some silly fucking flavored kit kats mm. uh <laughs> would probably get that's hundreds the, of thousands of views more than something video. i've yeah <laughs> <laughs> close actually i'm doing mascots i'm finally doing the mascot idea yeah we talked about doing Love a mascot. Only focusing on mascots. Um, <laughs> and I suspect that'll do better. Um, but no, it's a shame. Something you put so much energy into, something that you think is your best work, and then you get screwed mm. over by the very platform you've kind of helped to contribute to over the years. It's, it feels a little bit like a betrayal. And it kind of shook my faith in Listen. YouTube a little bit and made me think about what I should do going forward, you know, and where I should put my work and oh, all sorts of move. things. So. Big money move to um, who's the Microsoft streaming site? I forget its name now. Everyone like oh. they they bought up um, Ninja from uh, Twitch, didn't they? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> whatever that's I'll called. I'll do that. Yeah, you should do that to the to the. Get have a big money move to Vimeo. <laughs> a big money move to Vimeo. Not sold on that. But there or, you go. Uh, if you're if I'm you're listening to, to this, though, ladies and gentlemen, and you haven't seen the Fukushima documentary, go and check it out. It's called Inside Fukushima: What Happened mm. After the Disaster. And uh, yeah, it's. One of the better things I've made, I think. It's very good. As, as uh, most our video big together, stars. In Kyoto. 
Okay, exactly. That's that's your second favorite one. Um, <laughs> after, um, <laughs> I mean, I guess like people like Brad Pitt and stuff, they do slightly more indie leaning films just so they can make the big. Uh, sorry, they make blockbusters just so they can make the films they're mm. actually interested in. So, <laughs> I suppose yeah. I'll, I'll be making a Kit Kat video so I can fund exactly. more Fukushima documentaries. Just eat some shitty candy you <laughs> found in fucking Harajuku or something. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Um, but uh, there's, a, there's a new story that's been dominating the headlines this week, uh, not just in Japan, but around the world, but it resonates mm. and starts in Japan. Uh, and it comes down to a really creepy situation that sounds quite Black Mirror-esque. And I hate referring to things as being like Black Mirror, but Black Mirror is so good at taking technological situations and making them eerie that it works. Mm. And this situation involves a stalker. Um, a 26-year-old Japanese guy was arrested after sexually assaulting a pop idol. I don't think they've revealed who the pop idol is. I know she's 21. Yeah. Uh, Japanese Probably pop idol. Best. Has a big social media presence and following online. Mm. Um, but he was able to track her down using her Instagram photos. And she'd been quite careful with her photos and where she was taking them. But he was, the photos were yeah. so high resolution, he was able to zoom in on her eye, literally, in, and see the reflection in her eyes and see where she was and which station she was Jesus standing at and Christ. where her apartment was. And he was able to look at the photos of her apartment, work out the direction of the sunlight coming in from outside and calculate which building it was in the neighbourhood um, using the windows and the curtains. Absolutely terrifying. Um, yeah. It's a kind of a combination of a stalker who's taking things to the extreme and also, it just kind of it just shows you how the the downside of having such high resolu- high resolution photos in this day and age. Yeah. I mean, we could um, sort of go down the line of this man is a, an ingenious rapist, but I mean, the bottom line is it's a fucking horrific story. Uh, but it, uh, it just shows that you've got got to be so careful as a woman uh, who posts stuff online. I mean, I um, constantly post uh, pictures of my uh, intercom. Uh, at the front of my house, I've got an intercom system, and uh, I live <laughs> in the centre of town, very easy, the middle of the tourist uh, block, middle of the tourist uh, London, um, and every now and again, someone will put um, a bottle of, like, I don't know, Jamaican green ginger wine or something on, no. uh, on the on the thing, or they'll put a packet of Rizzlers, and I always take a picture, and I always post it up saying, shit on Pete's intercom, and... You can clearly see the shop that's over the road, and it's not like a Pret-a-Manger or a WH Smith's shops that are on every corner, uh, on every street in every uh, district of London. It's you know a very it's a very familiar um, indie boo shop, so it's very easy to figure out where my front door is. Why are you telling us this on the podcast? You've, well, because you've, it, like, it's very to easy. Ladies and gentlemen, so, listening, it's a challenge now. No, because people have done it before. People have done it before. They've 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 uh, they've, they've they've figured out where I'm where I live, and they've put shit on my intercom for me to find. That's <laughs> mental. Like a little shrine. It's mad. So imagine being a fucking woman in. Imagine being a woman on the internet anyway. It's a fucking shit show. It's horrible. I don't know why anyone would do it. Uh, but mm. imagine being. Um, Imagine uh, being a, an idol or someone famous. And, well, and, I mean, yeah, I, I know quite a few um, vloggers <sighs> in Japan that are girls that have mm. had similar problems, um, albeit not on this scale. Yeah. But yeah, no, it sets a worrying precedent. I know there's a lot of stalking issues in Japan. I, a good friend of mine had a stalker for 10 years and Jesus. they couldn't, I don't think they could do anything about it because the guy hadn't yeah, actually assaulted her. And they, yeah, I imagine, the laws are, uh, I imagine the laws over there are uh, about as. 
They're not good. And we've no. talked about we've talked about uh, how women um, have to move through the world differently uh, in Japan, it's, just simply because yeah. it's just it's a it's a male dominant society and the subjugation. Well, you of women can't be prosecuted a, here unless you've been assaulted. I think so even if someone's stalking really? you, if they don't do anything, the police can't do anything about it. So it's uh, Christ on a, a bit of a tricky situation. But uh, there's there's been all sorts of issues with pop idol stars in Japan. Remember a few years ago, the girl who had I think someone like tried to saw her arm off or something. We reported yeah. about it, didn't we? About a year or During two ago. A, yeah, and I remember talking to my mate about it, um, and she said, "Well, my mate who lives in Osaka, she's a um, last from Kyoto originally. Yeah. She sort of said uh, I used to DJ with her in London. She said, uh, yeah, people say that she uh, was just you know trying to get a bit of attention and stuff. I was like, someone sawed her fucking hand off, mate. Like, <laughs> like that's not the case. But that's how." these cases are reported on oh yeah she was asking for it she wanted it to happen just so she could become famous because it's like no <laughs> no one saws their fucking hands off to get a couple more quid for crying out loud jesus christ well one so, of yeah. the 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 worst ones uh i think it was it was uh, this year or last year i can't remember now but there was the um the pop idol some guy had sent this idol girl uh, various presents and right. i think he sent her a nice necklace or a bit of jewelry and she sent it mm. back to him um, yeah. And so, at, at one of her concerts, he turned up and stabbed her, uh, giving her life-changing, horrific injuries. Uh, and yet, yeah, yeah, a lot of people didn't defend him, but they sort of said, "Oh, she shouldn't have sent it back to him," as, as if that excused <laughs> him assaulting her. And that yeah, was. it's, it's a, wor- a lot of worrying things like that. It's one of my least favourite things about Japan: the way they handle situations like that. Um, mm. I'll go on record and so say that's, that's probably the worst thing about Japan the way they handle such cases the fact that it was her fault but yeah yeah, that is the dark side of Japan I, I suspect that kind of aspect massively. of it yeah massively there you go mm. how do we follow up that with a happier topic how can well. we do we go to the inbox <laughs> I think that's probably for the best it's time for the All inbox right. people it's time for the fax machine what have we got Mr Donaldson um, hang fire! I'll just pick up my phone. Fo- I moved my phone over away from me, see, Chris, so I, I couldn't. Uh, let me uh, let me just tell you what. I'll up. read it. No, we sorry, can't. I got, well, I'm not. I got no, it, baby. Right, I go got on, it. I got it. Hi, Chris and Pete. My name is Javier, and I'm from Paraguay. Ooh, I started listening to the podcast last week uh, while getting yeah while getting uh, ready for work, and after watching the fantastic mini documentary about Fukushima, I wanted to share an amusing encounter I had whilst visiting Tokyo in January of 2018. I was minding my own business, eating this giant rainbow-coloured cotton candy in Harajuku. <laughs> what an image! Oh Very enjoyable. Um, when some college students approached me with a video camera and asked in English to interview me uh, for a project they were working on. It started with basic questions like where I was from and why I was in Japan. Uh, then it moved on to more interesting ones like what would you uh, what do you feel uh, what do you think of bullying? And then they asked me if I felt personally responsible for the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Um, it really caught me off guard to say the least so I just said something like well I hope I'm not responsible and that was it no more questions any explanation whatsoever to this day it eats me that there is a video of me somewhere answering these questions that I'll probably never see I just want to know what were the purpose of the interviews uh, of the questions uh, so I can make sense of the interview but I suppose I'll never know do you think there's a a feeling among the Japanese uh, Javier asks um, that there's people other than the government to blame for the nuclear accident Uh, do they feel guilty or something. Um, I, I, I really need an explanation as to why they asked me that question, although I'm clearly not Japanese, says <laughs> Javier. <laughs> it, wasn't an, it wasn't a magnitude 9.3 earthquake. 
Um, it was Javier. He's responsible yeah. for the Fukushima Javier, nuclear yeah. disaster. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, actually. Just this week, the um, some of the I think the 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 top people at TEPCO, the uh, nuclear mm. company, yeah, um, that owns Daiichi, they were they got off um, any wrongdoing, which caused a bit of a stir because a lot of people don't agree with that. Right. Um, it's difficult to know, really. I'm not an expert on what happened or the intricacies of the nuclear mm. disaster. I do know, uh, and this is this should be reassuring for Javier. We're defending Javier now and his reckless actions. Uh, the, the, the earthquake triggered the tsunami. The tsunami hit the reactor. The reactor had a seawall, like a flood wall, to stop any potential mm. tsunamis, but they didn't have one that could take um, the one on the scale that they had that yeah. day. Um, no one predicted they'd get a tsunami on that scale. It was yeah. completely extraordinarily crazy. Um, but they say that if they'd spent an extra $50 million on the seawall, it might have saved it. Um, but right. the tsunami cut the power off to the power plant and the backup generators that were supposed to kick in to cool the reactor, uh, mm. they got flooded, I think, because they were underground. Probably not right. the, Probably not the best place to put them. <laughs> uh, and that was how the nuclear reactor exploded, overheated and blew up. Um, so I'd like mm. to think Javier wasn't responsible. I'd like to think Javier can walk no. away from this uh, not feeling a sense Scott of responsibility free. for the second worst nuclear disaster in history. Um, well, yeah, I, I don't know why they asked Javier that though. Random. <laughs> no, it's very strange. Imagine that. Maybe they, coming maybe all the way just... from Paraguay for a holiday, and someone's like, "You did it. Maybe you they... created this nuclear disaster." Maybe there was some Paraguayan money involved in uh, Daiichi, or they called conspiracy. <laughs> it just conspiracy it, like I mean, theory. I guess um, I guess the way it, uh, the nuclear disaster was treated. Um, we, you look at how obviously you watch the Chernobyl and stuff like that, and how um, the the pride and the um, single mindedness of the of the um, USSR uh, government, um, which obviously fell pretty soon afterwards, mm. simply because of this disaster. Like how um, they fucked it because they were just too um, obsessed with um, you know pretending that everything was fine. And Their the image, Japanese yeah. obviously treated it in a very different way, and they they, they obviously. Um, it was action stations, and they they were very um, uh, very very um, honest about what happened, and 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 did it in in the correct way because it was well, it there could two, have been a lot there worse. Two main differences between Chernobyl and Fukushima. The first is that Fukushima released, I think, a tenth of the radiation um, that Chernobyl did um, when the explosion yeah. happened, uh, and all the yeah. radioactive elements went airborne, just by virtue that the fact that it was a different type of reactor and the. Yeah. Um, the casing around the reactor itself was still mostly intact in yeah. Fukushima, and the it second the one is the Japanese. Out, yeah, yeah, and the second is the um, Japanese government made a conscious effort, unlike the USSR, to clean up the area that was affected, um, yeah. which they are doing now, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Twenty-seven billion dollars being spent on that. Fifty thousand people working around the clock to fix it over the last eight years. Um, so, a little bit different. Uh, but again, the main takeaway point here is Javier from Paraguay. You did not create the disaster. <laughs> Don't feel any Your guilt. Your conscience is clear. Your conscience <laughs> is clear. But no, Japanese. Going back to how Japanese people feel about it, um, I very rarely meet a Japanese person who now feels optimistic uh, or advocates nuclear power. Um, they don't really, really like nuclear power right. now. That's as a, as a form of energy. That popularity has gone down the pan as a result of Fukushima. Um, but I think most people, a lot of people are angry at TEPCO, um, but a lot of other people just feel that it was just a crazy disaster that they couldn't have ever foreseen. Mm. So yeah, it's yeah. a difficult situation. 
depends on how you feel about nuclear power, I guess. How you'll inevitably decide what the outcome is. But yeah, I think any, I think any I think any uh, island that is uh, beset by such ridiculous earthquakes and um, seismic activity and also um, you know all the tornadoes and stuff probably not an ideal place to to put your nuclear reactors but you know i guess they gotta go somewhere <laughs> should, can't stick them on the mainland come to what's japan? the mainland china <laughs> come to japan and uh, give a talk before the government uh, <laughs> on that that's a good point yeah in such a country that is bombarded by so many natural disasters it does seem a bit risky to put a nuclear reactor dozens of nuclear reactors along the coastline <laughs> as as is the case but uh, mm. that is a story for another day keep the stories and questions coming in to abroad japan podcast at gmail.com guys we'll be back same time next week but for now no matter where you might be out there in the big wide world have yourself a great week and we'll see you next wednesday yes bye-bye a good one bye-bye This was a Stakhanov production.